Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and to teach you about this market. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The battle between truth and fiction plays out every day in this market. And sadly, fiction usually wins. That includes days like today where the Dow shed 181 points, S&P declined 0.76%, NASDAQ lost 1.15%. After a tremendous run from the lows last fall, things really have turned nasty, haven't they? I'm starting to see that same old um, we, negative on um, we creep back into the market. We're plagued by imaginary scenarios that we're s- somehow convinced, we convince ourselves, represent reality, and make us say, who needs this nonsense? Let's just go sell everything sell, sell, sell. and buy some bonds. House of pleasure. The first absurdity? The first fantasy? That somehow there's a correlation between the newly weak bank stocks and reality. Because uh, these bank failures last spring have left a nasty taste in our mouths. But the truth is the vast majority of banks are actually doing quite well in this country. They aren't going to be able to loan aggressively. But guess what? They weren't doing it anyway. So let's just stop the extrapolation, please. Almost every class of loans is doing great, from credit cards, mortgages, home equity, small business loans. Even the dreaded office building loans are looking good, which are a very small part of every bank's portfolio. See, people have to realize that there are two kinds of buildings right now. There are the new ones with tremendous amenities to lure knowledge workers back to the office from home, and the old ones filled with support workers that are all exe- that execs are actually in a foot race to terminate. The only, you, look, you only need to go on any of the retail conference calls yesterday and today to know that there are some headwinds, but the earnings are higher. We're even seeing strong numbers from the Office Real Estate Investment Trust and upgrades and price target bumps too. Can we just say this whole low-end office blown building crisis is overblown? May not even be a crisis. And there's plenty of capital out there willing to buy any substandard building and uh, they can make a real deal. You know what? They might be able to turn them into residential housing, but you need some tax breaks to do that. I say enough lies and misinformation about commercial real estate. The lies are what's getting painful, not the news. Second set of lies, we are told to fear the stock market because the yield of the 10-year Treasury, roughly 4.25%, is closing on the highs 
from last October, just above 4.3%. That was the highest it's been in 15 years. I've been saying forever that the economy is actually in good shape. Something the Atlanta Fed seems to agree with me on because they just said that the economy is growing. The GDP is growing at like a 5.8% clip. Holy cow! I say here we go again. We were supposed to fear the stock market when the 10-year offered low interest. Now we fear it when it offers high interest? Stop trading the darn bonds! Heads you lose, tails you lose, give me a break! My view has always been that the longer-term rates, the ones that go out to 10, 20 years, they're way too low to begin with uh, versus how strong our economy is. That's been my view for two years now. I've said that we need several more rate hikes by the Fed to get the economy to fully contain inflation. But the bears want to have it both ways. Somehow lower rates are bad and higher rates are bad. In this case, I think higher rates are fine because they simply represent a return to normalcy. It's just that you need to be old enough to remember what normalcy looks like. Exhibit A. Now, the third lie is that the consumer is getting weaker. No, no, and no. The consumer is a changed beast, though. She doesn't do what she did before COVID because her life's different. She may work at home. She may want the convenience of Amazon, which sends 375 million packages on Prime Day. Don't you think that changes the equation about retail and brick and mortar? I do. I think it's mighty hard for anyone to compete with that. Uh, as Target showed today when it reported weaker same-store sales, even if it made a boatload of money thanks to inventory control. Home Depot, on the other hand, had a magnificent quarter. It's always been hard to compete with them. And Amazon certainly doesn't do a great job of selling housing supplies, you know, ladders, you know, that kind of thing. As uh, wash machines. As CEO Ted Decker explained on Home Depot's excellent conference call, quote, our consumer is a homeowner. 80-odd percent of them own their homes, up tremendous equity value in that home, great jobs, great income, and it's a very healthy consumer segment in the overall economy. You know, come on. Do you trust the people on Wall Street who tell you that everything's are bad? I'm going with Ted Decker. Actually, I could have gone very fine, extremely fine, but I thought fine was just fine. But it's not such a good time for many other brick-and-mortar retailers. Personal story. Okay, so yesterday morning, I wear contacts. I don't know about you, but I do. I ordered a contact lens solution from Amazon. It was the one they recommended. It seemed like a water like everything else, you know. Yesterday evening, it was on my deck when I got back from work. That's what I ordered in the morning. Oh, there it was. It's so much easier to buy this stuff from them than rather than go into Walgreens and wait for a clerk to come open that plastic case where they now have to hide the stuff. Pilfers is rife, which we also heard from Target. I didn't need the, the, the stuff. I, I, I could have waited a day for the for the solution, so could you. So before we decide the consumer's weak, I argue that the consumer's just not going to the same place anymore. Everybody loves a bargain, hence the strength of Amazon. It's also why Kramer fave TJX right down the block. I got a pair of jeans for 14 bucks. I'm telling you, I saw, uh, they, they're worth like 140. Uh, TJX dis, uh, discovered, delivered a monster quarter. I mean, it was incredible. I was particularly pleased to see that Marshalls did well. That's where I got my first corduroy suit. Home goods do well, too. Don't forget, if you're going to get that stuff for Thanksgiving, you got to go now because they run out so fast. They're nice bellwethers, and that, they expose the lie that the consumer's hurting. Fourth lie, China can and will bring us down. Now, eight years ago, the Chinese stock market was collapsing every day, and we were told it would crush us. Yeah. Now we hear their wayward trust in clown show real estate developers are going to trust, are just going to crush us. I mean, it's going to be like a nightmare. Listen to me. 
I am concerned about the, the bizarre Chinese weakness, but I keep thinking back to what stopped the selling in their stock market just back then. I actually was doing a lot of work on it last night while I was doing my speech for tomorrow with the, uh, the, the people in the investment club. I was trying to figure out what, what, made, what made that sell-off stop. Well, guess what they did? They made it illegal to sell. Now, uh, if they did that here, our investment bankers and sharp traders could figure a way around it. But in China, financial crimes can be made into capital crimes. If the ruling Communist Party says that no one can withdraw money from troubled institutions, and they do, <laughs> they can do whatever they want for heaven's sake. But did you know it's like a communist dictatorship over there? I mean, I, maybe we ought to remember that. It's an authoritarian government. You can do whatever you want to change whatever you want. So I'm not buying the theory that China's economy will bring us down. Even I think their government's ham-handed and sometimes hapless, I'm surprised that they don't give some of these trust execs life in prison for stealing money. Maybe they will. The Chinese government isn't eager to air its dirty laundry. Final lie. Tech is over, and that means the bull market's over because the bull is all tech. Oh. I'm very sorry, but during our fabled chart week, we had the legendary Larry Williams come to town. Long before the current bout of selling, he said he made it clear that August would be a tough market month for the market. And what did he say? He cautioned P. That's right, he cautioned for patience. That meant you had to be willing to watch your favorite techs get hurt. Now, of course, nobody wants to suffer through the stocks going down. Everyone's conditioned to get out immediately in order to conserve capital. But the other day, I was looking at a tape of the old day on CBC, and I watched it crawl, the ticker go by. And also prices of stocks that might have been sold 10 times between then and now. If you got spooked, you would have missed out on some tremendous multi-year moves. That's why patience pays off. Plus, tonight, networking giant Cisco and semiconductor designer Synopsis reported amazing numbers. We'll talk to Synopsis later in the show. So think of these fictional nerves. The bank's going to take a step. Higher interest rates are going to crush us. The consumer's weak. China can take us down with something like a drowning swimmer, you know, when you go out there and try to save it, like life-saving, and tech's finished. I think these are nightmares that will not be realized. Stephen King is not in charge. Bottom line, lies thrive on Wall Street, either thanks to ignorance or thanks to money managers with a vested interest in pushing stocks lower. But I'd much rather be on, bet on the side of the truth. I don't know. Truth tends to work out. It sticks. And right now, the truth is much better than you might think, considering the recent action. And I wouldn't find myself bailing here. Patience is warranted. How about we start out with Jerry in Missouri? Jerry! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure, Jerry. What's up? You've spoken to this company on your show often over the years. You seem to be a fan. But with the tech downturn this month, I want to know if you still consider Shopify as its stock to own. Okay, Shopify is the uh, smaller, medium-sized person's Amazon for fulfillment. And Harvey does it, Ficklesy does a great job. My, my belief is that Shopify is a hard stock to own. I admit that. But longer term, I think it's going to be great from all the way down at these levels. Okay, listen to me. Lies thrive on Wall Street. But I'd much rather bet on the truth. Oh, man, buddy, tight. As far as the Inflation Reduction Act, Medicare was given the authority to negotiate directly with the drug companies in order to lower the cost of brand-name medications. The drug manufacturers are finally fighting back. What should make all this? I'll give you my take. Then subscribers to the CBC Investing Club know we're laser-focused on Ford. So what could a UAW strike mean for the auto cohort as a whole? I'm digging into the latest situation. And as I mentioned, Synopsis announced a big leadership change. It's the close. They did great, though. I'm running through the announcement and those fabulous earnings. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This has been just a terrific year for vast swaths of the market but not so much the safe, consistent pharmaceutical industry. Now, with the exception of Eli Lilly, which has some stunning new drugs, the rest of the big pharma has absolutely been hammered. You got J&J and Merck down 2%. You got Bristol Myers off 15%. Pfizer stock has plunged more than 30% over the same period. So, so, so. Now, some of that's because these are textbook defensive stocks that Wall Street just doesn't like whenever people are more confident about the economy. And people feeling more confident is the story of 2023, isn't it? Especially the last few months. Some of it's because these are dividend stocks, so their yields are much less attractive in a world of relatively high interest rates. Who needs a 4.6% yield from risky Pfizer when you can get a 5.5% from risk-free Treasury bills? And some of it comes down to the fact that we're now 15 months out from the 2024 election. Presidential elections, they're almost always ugly for big pharma as drug prices become a political Football. They're an easy target in an election year. 
Look at what happened after the 2020 election. Last year, the Biden administration passed the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which was really a grab bag of climate investments and various other Democratic priorities. But there's also a health care component here that no one's talking about. Specifically, the IRA gives Medicare the authority to negotiate directly with drug companies in order to lower the cost of expensive brand name medications. They also got new ways to cap drug prices, including forced rebates for drugs that see price increases in excess of inflation. That's never been done. Seems like a slam dunk dunk politically, though, even as it's terrifying for pharmaceutical companies and, yes, you, the shareholder. Now, you haven't heard a lot about these provisions, in part because this kind of policy takes forever to implement. It kind of snuck in there, frankly. The government won't even start identifying which drugs they're going to target until 2026. But I'm bringing this up now because Big Pharma has started fighting back and pushing back against these new pricing rules in court. I think they were surprised, too. They were ready. In June, Merck sued the Department of Health and Human Services and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, calling the drug pricing provisions in the IRA unconstitutional, a sham, and get this, tantamount to extortion. Less than two weeks later, Bristol Myers filed its own lawsuit against the same authorities using very similar language. A couple of days after that, multiple pharma industry groups filed their own lawsuit against HHS and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Seems like some sort of staggered rollout, doesn't it? Now, if we saw this kind of legal challenge 20 or 30 years ago, I wouldn't take it seriously. Our precedent is very much on the government side. But the federal judiciary is a lot more conservative on economic issues than it used to be. And that goes double for the Supreme Court. Still an uphill battle. But what matters is that no one seems to be thinking about any of this. I think that's a huge mistake for anyone who owns pharma stocks. Now, big pharma's going all out here. Each lawsuit was filed in a different jurisdiction. Merck's case is in D.C. Bristol-Myers did it in New Jersey. The big industry group suit is, is in the West Western Tex- District of, of Texas. And they're all pursuing different strategies. Merck and Bristol-Myers claim the drug pricing rules in the IRA violate the First and Fifth Amendment. Now, I, I don't think it's a free speech issue, although they've got some kind of telling arguments about the way that they've been kind of not allowed to talk about it. So the First Amendment, though, still feels like a stretch. But the Fifth Amendment requires the government to pay just compensation. It's called a taking. And when it takes private property for public use, Merck and Bristol-Myers say they're being coerced into negotiating lower prices. They get hit with a big excise tax if they won't play ball. So from their perspective, they're basically being robbed by the government without fair compensation. For some, it might feel like a stretch, but I think they might get a win with a sympathetic judge. Meanwhile, the big farm industry group lawsuit takes a different tack entirely, claiming the IRA's drug pricing rules violate the Eighth Amendment. Now, we know that's as cruel and unusual punishment, but you know what? It also prohibits excessive fines. The way the IRA works, pharma companies don't comply with the mandated price negotiations. They're going to have to pay insanely high taxes on the sales of each drug where they're in violation. They probably won't even put out the drugs if that's the case. I mean, we're talking about a 65% tax rate on sales, not profits. I can understand why they, they keep using the word extortion, but that doesn't mean it's unconstitutional. In short, the pharmaceutical industry is mounting an all-out legal assault on the IRA's drug pricing provisions, and no one is even covering this, even though it could destroy the drug company's profitability. Lately, more companies have gotten in on the action. Last month, the Japanese drug maker uh, called Astellas filed suit in the Eastern District of Illinois. J.J. Janssen Pharmaceutical subsidiary filed its own lawsuit in New Jersey, similar to the one that Bristol-Myers did. Even the Chamber of Commerce got in on the action with the lawsuit in Ohio, and they sure should. This is a big business issue. Again, precedent's not really on their side. 
side. But each additional case makes it more likely that some judge somewhere will side with the drug industry. So can these legal challenges boost the downtrodden pharma stocks if they win? Hey, listen, like Cho and Lai's verdict on the French Revolution, I say it's too soon to tell. We know Merck's just asked for summary judgment. That's basically a request for the judge to rule in a case without a full trial. I don't think they're going to win that one. But according to Citi's pharma analyst, Andrew Baum, we could get a ruling as early as the first quarter of next year. The timing is important because Medicare is supposed to send the industry offers of maximum fair prices by Feb 1. Even if Merck can't win in court, they can at least try to delay the rollout of what are essentially price controls. At best, if they're lucky, I think they could get a preliminary injunction where the judge would just block the new pricing rules while a full trial takes place. But when you look at the entire farm industry, I don't see these lawsuits as an attempt to fight the IRA's drug pricing provisions in court. While they love to get the whole thing thrown out as unconstitutional, these companies are run by smart people with smart lawyers. They know the chances of a clean legal victory at this point after this law is passed. Slim. To me, this wave of lawsuits looks like a negotiating strategy. For every favorable ruling, even if it's purely procedural, the Biden administration will be under more pressure to back off. Maybe they pause the rollout until the litigation is over. Maybe they decide to be less aggressive in pushing for lower prices. If they can kick the can down to 2025, they might end up negotiating with a very different White House, which is, I think, one of their major tactics. That's what they really want. So what do you do with all this yourself? I think it's way too soon to get your hopes up. Remember, the whole thing's an uphill battle for the pharmaceutical industry, but, and this is a very big but, there's now a chance that these lawsuits could offer the drug companies some real upside. For once, litigation could be a tailwind for big pharma, not a headwind from plaintiffs who attacked them. So here's the bottom line. For the moment, most big pharma stocks are out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, other than Kramer fave Eli Lilly. And I think they'll stay unloved unless the economy slows down dramatically. But keep an eye on these lawsuits, because if any of them wind up favoring the drug companies, the whole group is going to catch fire. Definitely worth keeping an eye on if that happens. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, as the United Auto Workers move to vote, will Ford and GM be stuck in neutral? To the ballot box as we go, next. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. When you get to my age, it's always surprising when something that's been irrelevant for decades suddenly matters again. Take organized labor. Now, regardless of how you feel about unions, I'm generally sympathetic myself. When you're investing in stocks, unions are the opposition. More money for workers means less money for you, the shareholder. 
But the labor movement's been on its back foot for so long that we haven't had to worry about unions impacting stock performance in ages. It wasn't a factor. The unions had no bargaining power. Lately, though, that's changed. And the best industry, best example, is not necessarily the entertainment industry, but the auto industry. Over the past month, Ford's plunged from 15 and changed to just under 12. General Motors has tumbled from the low 40s to the low 30s. Stellantis, the company that owns Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and a bunch of European brands, has seen its stock pull back about 13% since the end of July, despite reporting a pretty good quarter. While much of that comes down to worries about interest rates, and that's true, it costs more to buy a car, I think the real source of weakness uh, for the big three is the United Auto Workers Union. Now, they've been long, there have been long simmering worries about a strike. I mean, it's not new. When I was out there, this is what we talked about. I spoke to Ford CEO Jim Farley about it when we visited Dearborn in July. I, I'm sorry, in June. He said all the right things, but it was clear that a potential strike was still very much on the table. Normally, it's not a huge deal with a company with a unionized workforce has, has one of these contract negotiations. But across the whole economy, organized labor has become a lot more aggressive. Much easier for them to negotiate when you've only got 3.5% unemployment. And that's especially true for the UAW under its new president, Sean Fain, who took over in March. Now, this guy is a firebrand. Just a, I mean, you think he's the second coming of Water Ruther. Someone you should definitely Google if that name means nothing to you. The day after Fain took over, he said, and I'm going to quote here because it's pretty amazing. We're here to come together to ready ourselves for the war against our one and only true enemy, multi-billion dollar corporations and employers who refuse to give our members their fair share, end quote. Holy cow, that is really militant even for the UAW. And he hasn't dialed back the rhetoric at all since then, in early July. Fain said, quote, the only real limits we have are the ones we place on ourselves. We refuse those limits because they are no limits, end quote. Hmm, definitely not what you want to hear, shareholder. Hey, how about this one? Quote, I've been told I am crazy to raise member expectations this high as we head into bargaining. I refuse to allow employers, the billionaire class, and sellouts to play on our fears. End quote. The billionaire class. Holy cow. You a billionaire? I'm not a billionaire. I don't know. Now, then, just last week, Fain took a pretty, a pretty contract proposal from one of the big two automakers, a respected company, Stellantis, and he threw it into the trash. I mean, like, literally. He called it a slap in the face to members who risked their lives to work during COVID. If this were mad labor organizer, I'd tell you he's got a great sense of showmanship. But this is mad money. From an investing perspective, you know this kind of attitude from the union could cost shareholders a lot of money. Fain's got a highly ambitious set of demands, to put it dramatically. They want a 46% increase to base salary, pension increases, and a 32-hour work week. When are they going to make the cars? On Friday, Wells Fargo published a review of what the UAW is asking for. Previously, they thought the new contracts would cost in each, each automaker an additional $1.4 billion to $1.9 billion. But now they think, speculating, it could be more like 6 to $8 billion per year. So what happens next? Well, next week, the UAW will formally vote on whether to authorize a strike. And the way things are going, you have to assume they will go through with it. Then the automakers and the UAW will have to have about a month to reach a deal. And then if they can't get there by September 14th, then the workers put down their tools. 
and a strike can be very expensive. Ford and GM are making 200,000 and 225,000 vehicles per month. Each one represents about 12 grand of earnings for interest, taxes, and I got to tell you something, according to Wells Fargo, a strike, we get this, would therefore cost GM $2.7 billion and Ford $2.4 billion in earnings before interest and taxes. I don't like that. It helps explain where the stocks are. To put that in perspective, Ford's currently guiding for $11 billion to $12 billion operating income this year. So even if we assume a month-long strike only costs them $2 billion, that's still a meaningful chunk of their profits. But, and this is an enormous but, I'm not that worried about a strike by the UAW. It's definitely not a reason to sell the automakers. Why not? First off, this is a one-off cost. Once the strike's over, it immediately is in the rearview mirror. Wall Street only cares about the future, not the past. So unless the strike goes on endlessly because they said the uh, people refuse to collectively bargain, well, it's not the end of the world. Of course, if the negotiations result in much higher labor costs for the big three, that could certainly hurt their stocks. We haven't had a recent example of this uh, that, that rings true, except for a case, a, a, a contract that just happened. And I am worried about it. It's a contract involving the UPS. See, we thought the company had averted disaster when it reached a deal with the Teamsters a few weeks ago, averting a strike. Stock immediately shot up. But since then, we've learned more about the terms of the deal that was reached. UPS shares have slid steadily lower. They are now down 10% since the new labor deal was announced. However, this situation is different. UPS was a tougher spot because this top competitor, FedEx, was ready, willing, and eager to take their business in the event of a strike. It could have been disastrous. While Tesla and foreign automakers might be able to take a chair in the event of a prolonged UAW strike, the big three OEMs are all in this together. Ultimately, however, I don't think the deal will be anywhere near what the UAW is asking for. I mean, a 46% raise and a 32% hour work week? I mean, good luck with that. That's what the way I see it. Look, that's just Fain's way of playing hardball, which is exactly what negotiators do. You start by asking for the word for the world and then you cut a deal and you make someone use him. Uh, but if the negotiations truly get contentious and keep do- dragging on, I'd expect the federal government to step in because we're talking about an essential industry here. Even though Biden's the most pro labor president in generations and trumpets that constantly. He still broke the railroad strike last December. The rail workers got a pretty good deal, but nowhere near what they've been pushing for. When push comes to shove, no U.S. president can allow a critical industry to shut down for an extended period of time. And the automakers are extremely critical. When push comes to shove, I don't believe that Biden would support the extended strike now that he's, when he's up for re-election in a little over a year. Then again, Michigan's a swing state, so he'll probably give the UAW more latitude than the rail workers. Finally, let's not forget, the auto stocks are already down huge from their highs in a very short period of time. I think much of the disruption from the, a break, uh, from a strike is already baked in. I mean, Ford's down 22%, in, in, 23% in the last month. Uh, GM's rough, down roughly 20%. Solantis is down 13% in a little over two weeks. Plus, each of these stocks looks darn cheap, even if you take a meat cleaver to their earnings estimates. <laughs> At some point, the auto stocks, well, uh, they have come down enough that they will fully reflect any pain from a new labor deal that's unfavorable to shareholders. That said, I, I don't recommend rushing into either stock, and Ford is owned by the Chapel Trust, but I'm not pounding the table here. And I'm going to say that tomorrow at the club meeting. 
uh, because, yeah, look, the situation could get worse for a little bit here. But the bottom line, if you already own the automakers, don't panic and sell these stocks. They're already well off the recent highs. I think most of the bad news is already baked in. There's only so, it's so hard the UAW can push for the White House is likely to step in and force a compromise. Let's go to Tommy in Virginia. Tommy. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I just want to tell you first, you nailed it in the early summer uh, with the Tesla chart you put up and recommended it. I, w- I went to the moon with it, got out high, 280. Oh, well done. Well done. Yeah, I got lucky, I guess. But anyway, I didn't exercise what you preached, and I tried chasing it back when it dropped back. To, I, I got completely out of 280, got back into 260. Now I'm bleeding to death, wanting to know whether I should get out or hold on to it. Well, there's a lot of uh, bad news right now about price cuts. Tesla seems to be cutting, cutting price, cutting price, cutting price. And as long as they're doing that, it is going to go down. I do not hear them saying we're done cutting costs. So it is difficult for me to opine and think positively about Tesla for the very moment. Because I got to tell you, uh, if you keep taking down your price, you're certainly not going to be able to make the earnings, the earnings estimates that are out there. Now, if you already own the automakers, don't panic. I think most of the bad news is already baked in. The UAW can only push so hard before the White House is likely to step in and force a compromise. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with synopsis. When you think of autonomous vehicles, you probably don't think of synopsis. I'm learning more about how the company is infusing tech into the host of end markets with a CEO. Then VinFast, a Vietnamese EV company, came public via SPAC yesterday and hit the market with a thud. So where do I come down on the name? I have some fiery thoughts that you don't want to miss. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Most of us have a pretty good understanding of consumer-facing tech industries, but when it comes to enterprise-oriented industries, it takes a lot more to figure out exactly what's important. That's why I'm here to point you in the right direction, which brings me to a company called Synopsys. That's a software company that helps design semiconductors and electronic systems. Design them. Now, look, maybe you've never heard of them. They are a bit like Cadence, which we had on a few months ago, because their technology is behind the scenes, powering major advancements in everything from autonomous driving to artificial intelligence to, yes, the cloud. Tonight's synopsis reported a strong set of numbers with inline revenue and a 14-cent earnings beat off a $2.74 basis. Don't know if that's enough these days because tech looks so awful, but management also raised their full-year revenue and earnings guidance, hence uh, why the stocks rally nicely in after-hours trading, even as the company also announced some bittersweet news, saying that Synopsis chairman and CEO Art DeGius will be transitioning to the new role of executive chairman at the end of the year. Yeah, he's resigning as CEO. So can you keep climbing? Earlier today, we spoke with, with Art, uh, the current CEO, to get a better read on the situation. Take a look. Mr. DeGius, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I don't want to bury the lead. We got some news after the close tonight, which indicates that you will be stepping up to a new role, and you've got a new CEO. So why don't you tell us a little about him? Well, it's great news. Uh, uh, so the news, to be clear, clear is that January 1st, Sassim Ghazi, who is our present president and COO, will take the CEO uh, role. And it's, it's great because Sassim has been working at Synops for 25 years. And especially in the last three, four years, we've worked extremely closely together to uh, change and evolve the company and scale it 
because of the opportunities that we face today. And so uh, having him take the mantle, uh, I'm just uh, thrilled about as he will bring a whole new energy and additional push and drive the momentum that uh, has been created at this point in time. So this is all great news. All right. Well, that's good to know, because once again, you reported a great quarter. It's been your habit to do so. I think people have to understand and I want them to know where you play. And I think, first of all, people don't understand really electronic design automation. And they don't understand the key role you play in making it so that semiconductors come to the market. So maybe you can put synopsis in a context which explains why I could deliver such great numbers. Sure. And uh, it's actually relatively simple. You know, as you know, many of the new capabilities in the world, all the AI, all the electronics is based on chips. And those chips take a long time to design and they're designed with our tools. EDA stands for Electronic Design Automation. And Synopsis had the good fortune to, over a number of years, become the leader in our field. And so we touch literally all of the new chips with our customers and help them be successful at the very moment where the, the overall software market says, give me more, give me more faster chips, lower power chips, more new chips. And so there, there's a natural momentum in, in the industry. And there's actually, at the same time, an additional complication as these chips become much more uh, complex and more of them together. I'm so That's glad, where we fit. I'm so glad you mentioned low power. The, the more I talk to companies, the more I realize that they have to get their emissions down. Uh, they have to become more climate centric. So why don't you tell us how Synopsys is doing in order to be able to make it so frankly that the earth doesn't overheat? Well, this, this is a great question, all the more, because if we don't do that and there are more and more chips, they will consume more power, of course. And so one of the, the challenges in designing a chip is always the same, which is you want it to be really fast or you want it to be really low power. And the two invariably conflict, right? And so the quality of the design, the quality of the architecture, the quality of how you think about the system determines greatly what we can do there. And so this has been literally a quest, I would say, since the early 2000s. Before that, power nobody cared about. And why 2000s? Because mobility suddenly said, well, your battery life is going to be horrible if you don't deal with it. Now, in addition to that, we have the macro issue of a massive climate impact, of course. So this is an area that our customers push on. The system houses, so the people that buy the chips, push on. And I would venture to say that a lot of AI will be necessary to find out new ways in all of the fields impacted to reduce power consumption. And therefore, our mission is the, at the heart of the heart of uh, high tech. Now, let's talk about the heart of high tech. We want it to be, come back to the United States. We used to be the place where everything was made. I know you're involved with the uh, with the Chips and Science Act. Of course, uh, one of your large customers, Intel, has been a leader in that. Can we become a leader again in the creation and, uh, and manufacturing of semis? Because if that happens, it's going to be based on Synopsys's work. Because in many ways, you are the intellectual property behind the uh, design to the market. You know, uh, in, in the technology that we're in, I've always felt that if there is a will, there is a way. And, and it takes a lot of will because you know, we have been part of an evolution of 50 years of the highest rate of change, used to be called Moore's Law in right. history of mankind, right? right? Yeah. But I can tell you, while Moore's Law has slowed down, there's a whole new exponential that has started because what we're going to do now is take multiple chips and put them really close together, actually stack them on top of each other. 
you immediately understand this is going to be hard to do, but the benefits are, are enormous. And so uh, when there are big changes like that, all nations, all groups have an opportunity to say, well, I'm going to catch up for the next generation. And, you know, when we talk about CHIP Act, we should talk CHIP Acts, plural, because every country has already followed the lead of the U.S. And the bottom line is certainly uh, everybody understands, hey, chips are important and the race is on. Now, uh, I, we keep hearing that Intel is really important to you, and I know that is, but, uh, but they are not necessarily the leader right now in AI. And you're playing it. You're very big into artificial intelligence. Who are you working with? Who do you see shining in that particular part of the business? Well, the, the interesting thing is there, there are two types of shining. The, all the people that, that develop the software that actually right. uh, enhances the AI algorithms, right? Mm-hmm. Then there are all the people that develop the chips that actually can do the computations. And by the way, the more the software evolves, the more the pressure is, make the chips faster, please, please right. give us more data, make it, and which is a good sign, right? This is the one place where unhappy customers is a great sign because they want more. But on top of that, there's another world, which is the people that take this AI capability and start putting them into the end systems. Like a whole car is an example of that. And, you know, we've now watched with great astonishment and also trepidation, how soon can we have cars that really drive well autonomously? That's an unbelievably complex problem, but the advances are fast, and they're very much predicated on how good are the chips going to be, and by the way, are they safe and secure by the time they're sitting in a car? So there's, there's a lot of teamwork in this world that actually will make the difference. And in, in high complex te- uh, uh, technology, I've always argued that the singular most important skill is actually good collaboration, because many things have to intersect. Well, and look, we're sitting in the middle of that. I know that uh, one of the things that people should realize is that there are not that many collaborators. You're, you are one of only a couple companies that are in your industry. Uh, and you do incredibly well, and I want to congratulate you on all that you've done for shareholders. And I look Thank forward you. to talking, I think, one more time, and then we have a new CEO. Uh, but it's going to continue. Obviously, the good things are going to continue at Synopsys, and what an amazing return you've had. Thank you, Arthur Gia, CEO of Synopsys. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the Thunderous Lightning Round, next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, it's time for the lightning round. Please, I want to start with Frank in New York. Frank. Give me, give me Joe. Frank from Westchester. Showman says hi. I'm looking at this stock just for a spec, okay? They reported uh, financials uh, recently. Uh, Revenue was up 119%. Subscriptions were up by 195%. Okay, okay, okay. And they're in the weapons detection. Unfortunately, we need that in this country. It's a shame. But, and, uh, you know, What's they made it for the schools and stadiums. What do you think? Is it worth a shot for what, What's the stock? What's the stock? Evolve. Evolve. No, come on, man. I know it's speculative, but geez, it's just so high. It's so high. It doesn't make any money. We're going to say it's next. Lisa in Virginia. Lisa! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm of course. I'm talking about D- WAC, Digital World Acquisition. Jimmy Force. Chill, don't touch that thing. That thing is what? Blank check company. I'm going to have to take a major league. No hard pass on that. Let's go to Steven in Virginia. Steven. 
Greetings, Jim from Fairfax. Uh, I'm doing fine. I'd like to ask about a company that's headquartered right down the road from me in Arlington as a long-term growth stock, Raytheon Technology. Oh, I agree with you now. It did screw up. It had a problem with one of its manufacturing problems, taking the stock down 10 points. I think it's time to buy. I'm taking it out of the penalty box right now, right here. Let's go to Peter in Connecticut. Peter. Jim, how are you? Not bad. How about you? Not too bad, Jim. My stock pick for tonight is PaySafe. No, payment processing, I've had it. Even though it's profitable, I don't want anything I'm doing payments unless it's Visa or MasterCard. Hey, Bo in Alabama. Bo knows Bo. Jimmy Chill. How's it Chill. going, man? Not bad. My wife made 65 jars of tomato sauce last night, so I'm all, I'm all, I'm all good. How about you, Bo? What's up? Hey, there you go. All, not all heroes wear capes, right? Okay. <laughs> um, question. I know you don't like two of my top holdings, but I'm setting up something for my four-year-old. It's Prospect Capital. But we have no idea what Prospect owns. We can't do it. I know it's got that big yield, but we have no idea what's in it. We're going to say no to that for your child. Hey, you know what? I mean, how about like a good drug company? How about that? And that, ladies and gentlemen, good. How about that? Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Today, automaker VinFast is worth almost as much as Ford and GM combined. In other words, run for the hills. Kramer sounds a warning next. I guess some things never change, including the stock market's ability to fleece the heck out of unsuspecting investors like you. We saw what happened with the terrible IPOs, the ridiculous SPAC deals in 2020 and 2021. And now we're seeing it again because we got another absurd SPAC deal yesterday. One of these special purpose acquisition vehicles merged with the Vietnamese automaker, VinFast Auto, then immediately leaped 255% in response. Now, this money-losing car company has been plagued by all sorts of manufacturing problems. Yet, as of last night's close, it was supposedly valued at $85 billion, which made it larger than Ford, GM, or even Mercedes-Benz. While the stock did pull back 90% today, and so obviously it was stupid to buy at the end of the day yesterday, it still got an insane valuation. It ain't done. I'll say this about VinFast Auto, though. I found it. It does exist. And it actually makes something. It makes cars, lots of them. You can order five different kinds of electric cars on their cool website. That's better than most companies in the electric vehicle cohort, although that's not saying much because on the whole, this has been a pretty disgraceful group. So VinFast is a legitimate company, but everything else about it stinks to high heaven. The equity you see is from a merger with a blank check SPAC, meaning it effectively came public without the SEC's blessings, and those are almost always losers. There's a lot of regulation when you do a traditional IPO. VinFast skipped that whole screening process. These SPAC deals are like a backdoor to get around the whole process to the point where I think you can call them a legal con. The stock you see actually comes from FinFast merger with a blank check company called Black Spade Acquisition. Thank you. If you don't understand that, oh, it's okay. You know what? Because we've learned that SPACs, nobody understands them. You could argue we have no real idea how many shares there are or, or what the company's really worth. Then how did FinFast Sky High Valuation come about? Simple. 
because there are only 1.3 million shares trading. This was a SPAC deal where almost all the SPAC's original investors elected to cash out rather than taking shares in the combined enterprise. Most other shareholders are locked up and not allowed to sell. As a result, there are very few shares out there of VinFast, and that made it right for a short squeeze, which is what happened. If they had 10 times as many shares, the company would be worth far less money. Some 99% of this business is owned by the richest man in Vietnam and his family. If he ever decides to ring the register and part of this position, his fellow shareholders are just toast. Now, VinFast has shipped about 3,000 vehicles to the U.S., but only 137 registered as sold by the end of June. That doesn't seem all that robust to me. In that sense, this stock reminds me of earlier electric vehicle SPAC deals like Nikola or Lucid or maybe even Lordstown Motors. These are all market darlings at one point, but their investors ended up losing fortunes. I figure it would be a repeat of those, except the float's so darn small that only a limited number of people will truly get burned. How can these ridiculous SPACs deal? How can they keep coming? Because the SEC still hasn't stamped out this absurd process. If you want to come public via a SPAC deal, you can do so without any regulatory scrutiny whatsoever. Stocks are caveat emptor assets, so anyone who buys this thing needs to recognize that the stock has nothing to do with the fortunes of the underlying car company. It has to do with a part of the stock market that feels more like playing the lottery than investing in actual businesses. Of course, the lottery seems a lot more legal. I hate this stuff. I hate that it's allowed. I hate that it'll cost people fortunes. I hate that there's no governor. But all we can do is shine a light on the stupidity of it all and marvel at a country that was once run by the communist Ho Chi Minh would create the craziness of capitalism going awry. It's a curse. It's a pox. You can trade fast all day, betting you'll go higher or lower. But please, never confuse it with a real stock. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.